The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. My name is Jack Armistead, and today we are reading from Mark 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at the teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scripture. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law laid ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them this is the word of the lord praise be to christ thanks jack so did such a great job at that buddy i'm so proud of you that was awesome especially some of those words like capernaum man you rocked that um and I love that we're having people uh, participate, even from their homes, to uh, show you, to see you, as well as you see them uh, in our worship service. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been watching, I'm sure you've been watching a lot of different things, but uh, there's a Netflix special called, uh, or series called uh, The Home Edit. And it's not anything necessarily new to probably some of you. The Home Edit has been around for a while. Uh, it was actually two moms uh, whose, their families moved to Nashville, they live here in Nashville, uh, some time ago, and they were struggling with uh, jobs, vocation, their, their husbands were as well, and they started uh, as home organizers. Uh, a friend of theirs recommended, said, hey, you, you're really good at this, and they became influencers, and uh, incredibly beautiful, you know, the way they uh, can do color coordination across the way, I know. Uh, we have home edit stuff in our home uh, because it's great, especially during pandemic. It's been fantastic because, hey, you see things that are out of order and we got time to get things in order. And uh, it's been a really big hit, but so big now, net, they have their own Netflix series 
in the last, I don't even know how long, I think five maybe years, it's just taken off, uh, maybe even less than that. And um, they have now uh, been flown all over the country, particularly to uh, high-profile homes of celebrities to uh, do actually Netflix special of, uh, in their homes as well as it, just it, people in everyday life. And so it's just taken off. Uh, and people want to have order. They want to see it. But I was reading a People magazine um, actual just thing on them. And, and uh, it said, they said something really interesting about how they see uh, and enter into uh, the vulnerability of people's messes. They said, you're dealing with people's very personal things and their bathroom products, their photos. The fact that someone is letting us into their space is something that we do not take lightly. They need to trust us, is what they said. And they're very likable people if you see them. But it's, it brings up a really great question. Who, who do we let into our lives, into the actual messes of our worlds, the most vulnerable places, to actually bring order, to set things straight? Who do we really trust enough, not just to, to come and give us advice, but to actually come in and help us set life straight? And I would say this is who we give credence to in most authority. This is where we look to as authority. Authority is that. And, and that's a word that's, that's, that's prickly for some of us. We'll see some of that in a minute. Especially when you talk about the Bible, that we believe in our church that the Bible is the, the inerrant word of God. Jesus is the son of God. What he says is true. How do we believe in authority? <clears throat> how, do we, how do we trust in that? Well, all of us do at some level, but it's the one that we believe the most, the authority we lend to the most, not just to clean things up, but to come in and set everything right. It's someone. It could be within ourselves. It could be something else, but we all have one. And Mark's account of the gospel does this. Uh, we're going through a series in Mar of, of the Gospel of Mark. It's actually the first gospel written, even though it's the second in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But it's the shortest one in part because it was the first written, and it's really answering a very simple question. Who is this man? Who is, who is this Jesus? And if there's a theme of particularly the first eight chapters even, and especially right out of the gate, the biggest punch you'll notice that Mark did when he wrote this in the 60s AD to a bunch of Christians in Rome suffering was to say, does Jesus really have authority? He's answering the authoritative question because all around them is authority. They're being beaten down by certain authorities. They're longing for other authority. They're looking for it. Why does Jesus bring authority? And how should we trust him? Why is he worth following? That's really the question, right? Why is Jesus worth following as the authority? And that's our question this morning, pretty simple. As we look at this, we're gonna ask two major questions that this passage is really talking about. First, hey, why follow Jesus? Why follow him at all? <laughs> and then second, how do we? Let's get really practical. How do we really, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? So why follow him and how do we follow Jesus? You know, in these verses, the first chapter, verses 14 and 15, it says, and again, as 
classic Mark fashion. He takes a lot of events and squishes them down into a couple sentences for us that, that like to people to get to the point. Mark is your kind of guy. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, what is authority and what does it look like? For, for centuries, and here we even see it, people have been wanting authority, wanting to see who has authority. What does authority look like? Leadership is connected to authority, right? We have a lot of questions in our day, even this last week, about those kind of things, about authority and how some people have handled that, sadly. But what is authority? And I think there are a couple of things when it comes to our culture, probably one of the first cultures to really question authority and put authority in the seat of, "Uh, is authority, am I, I'm really the authority, (laughs) The individualistic idea of us being the authority. And, you know, there are bumper stickers that even say question authority. Now, okay, yes, I think, I think one of the things about our culture I do want to say that's helpful is we should ask questions of authority. We should make sense and reveal it. We shouldn't just go on the internet and, and trust everything we read because there's a lot of stuff out there that's not trustworthy, right? There's a lot of clickbait and a lot of things that like that. What is the authority to lend us to we listen, that we follow, right? But the other side of that is the idea of that there is no real authority for us to follow. Well, I am the authority. I'm the only authority. But if we go that route too, if we go to that direction, then we're saying there's no authority to follow, but there actually is authority. We're all meant to follow authority. We're looking for it. We're seeking it. Even if we say the authority is only in me, I'm still giving the idea that authority exists because we're made to seek it. See, we're all wanting authority. We're all wanting to follow something. And even if we say we're the only authority, what informs us to be the authority, right? Well, that could be the authority itself. See, it's an endless thing. What is the authority? Why follow Jesus, right? I remember being in in Paris some years, years ago. I was traveling with some friends and uh, I went to Napoleon's tomb and some of you may have been there, even read about it. Napoleon's tomb is built in a way so when you walk in, you see, you look down, you see the beautiful architecture, and then you look down in this ring, and you see his tomb down below. And it said, you walk in, and you kind of bow your head like this, and it said that Napoleon wanted his whole architectural scheme to run that way, because he wanted, even in death, people to bow their head to him. (laughs) Why? Because Napoleon got it. He understood it. He knew that all of us are looking for authority. Just going about, even in a trick, I mean, even in his tricking everybody that walks in, that it's built in us to seek authority. It's in us to do that. Why does Jesus say the kingdom of God is at hand? Repent, believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is, is claiming something different in his authority than others. He's saying, when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's easy to read into this. And a lot of ink has been spilled over what this really means is Jesus as king. What this kingdom of God is at hand is not talking about a realm. It's actually talking about the person. It's talking about the ruler himself. In fact, Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand because he is there. 
There's a pinnacle, a zenith of things happening right here at once. Jesus is claiming to be the authority. He is claiming that. So we don't want to get around that. But why follow him? Because he says, first, the time is fulfilled. What a a fascinating thing. You know, time really in a lot of things is not necessarily measured by seconds or minutes. In, in a lot of ways, time is measured by events. It's measured by the weight that the minute holds. Think about it. I recently went on vacation, like some of you may have done, uh, and if you can. Uh, I went to the beach uh, and was able to do that. It was a, a gift, a blessing, able to drive and, and go. And the minutes I found at the beach on that vacation hold significant weight to them, more than other minutes at times. Minutes of some of the everydayness of waking up and doing uh, the day-to-day things. I never wanted to leave. When the sun was going down, I felt every second heavier than the next because it was something I wanted to hold on to. The value of the minute, the value of the second, there was something deep within that. You know that when when you're with a loved one. And you have to say goodbye. Why, did goodbye. why are goodbyes so terrible? Because they remind us of the time that we're in. The time is short, the valuable, the, the measure of the time itself. Not the second, but what it holds. That's what this means. See, when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he's not saying like any other leader that's gone before of saying, uh, of thinking, how do I make my mark in history? Or um, uh, what you do, what, what are you gonna do with the time you have? Jesus is actually saying the time is fulfilled. The greatest moment of value that these minutes hold is reaching its zenith in this moment. That all the prophecy, all of the parts, all the things we read, not just in the Old Testament, but the history, right? The culmination of these things, it's finding its greatest weight in the moment of Jesus being in his ministry on this earth. This is different than any other leader has said anything. What leader has said the time has fulfilled and they're talking about themselves? It, it could come across as arrogance, but it's not because here's what's powerful about what Jesus is saying, that, that this, he's, he's saying that the eternal God himself, if he, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, that the ruler is there, God himself, but he's submitting himself within the limitations of time too. This is mind-blowing, that the author, the, the authoritative one is putting himself within the story that he's written. There was a, a New Yorker article that was written about called The Secret Life of Time, and I thought this was beautifully put, to think about what time feels like and what Jesus is stepping into, actually. Some nights, more than uh, the author says, Alan Burdock, Some nights, more than I like lately, I wake to the sound of the bedside clock. The room is dark, without detail, and it expands in such a way that it seems as if I'm outdoors, under an empty sky or an underground in a cavern. I might be falling through space. I might be dreaming. I could be dead, but only the clock moves. It's tick, steady, unhurried. At these moments, I've found the most chilling understanding that time moves in only one direction, 
and I'm most aware of being at the service of something, there is a machine in me or I'm a ghost in it. For more than 2,000 years, the world's greatest minds have argued about the essence of time. Is it infinite or finite? Does it flow like a river or is it in grandeur? Proceeding in small bits like sand trickling through an hourglass? And what is the present? Is it is now an indivisible instant, a line like a vapor, and a past and a future, or is an instant can be measured? And he then goes on to, do the, to quote St. Augustine to say this, time may seem slippery and maddeningly, maddeningly abstract, but it also deep, deeply intimate, infusing our every word and gesture. In its essence, Augustine, St. Augustine, the, the famous theologian, argued, can be gleaned from a single line, Deus creator omnum, God creator of all things. Here's what's amazing that this authority that Jesus in his person is saying about who he is. He's saying that as God, time is fulfilled in him and yet he puts himself in that position to feel time in one direction. He humbly puts himself in a place of feeling the stresses of time, the, the stretching of time, the, the way that time eats at him, and yet he knows he's there to fulfill all of time for us who are finite. He puts himself in that finite position of feeling that as the infinite one. That is authority, one who, one who holds the power in his hands and yet comes intimately close with us, God, creator of all things, puts himself in the hands of creation for us to experience that with him. This is true authority. See, he does that because he is the author. Notice in verses 21 and 22, and they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. See, they were astonished is a word is so good. I love this word because we've felt it a million times. It means that they experienced something that evoked like they'd never heard before. It stirred their emotions so deeply, it, it evoked some passion, joy, fear, and wonder that they'd never experienced. It, it, a small taste of this is like when you read a book. And then you find out that the author it's themselves have actually done, read the book on tape or on audiobook, right? I remember... Uh, actually reading a book and then later on going to, to hear the author read their own stories and accounts. And just the difference of my taking the words and then hearing the storyteller who puts themselves in it to actually draw out and tell the story with knowing them in mind in the one who actually penned the words and in the experiences and the things. Transform. See, what this meant is they heard something different than the scribes. Before, they'd heard everything that had been told before. Most of the time, teaching was given. It was always something of recounting of something past, the traditions that had gone before them. Jesus wasn't just reinterpreting. He wasn't clarifying. He was bringing an absoluteness and newness to what it meant to be 
a person in the kingdom of God. And they were floored by it. Because here's the thing, what's the root word of authority? Author. In fact, that's what the word means. I was, as, as, uh, in the Greek, it says, out of the original. It means that they're no longer hearing something that they'd heard before. They're hearing it from the original mouth of the author themselves. The storyteller is telling the story rather than just passing it on. The storyteller's in it and taken up. See, his authority, why, why follow Jesus? Because Jesus does the incredible thing of not only telling the story, coming to teach, and they're astonished by it, but what they're hearing, and you hear it played out, not just Mark's gospels, but the rest, is that the people that come and flock to Jesus are the people who are sick, sinners, weak, wounded, sore, the people who don't feel like they're a part of the story at all, recognize that this voice is saying the story is sweeping them up into it. And they recognize that the voice is not just any voice, it's the voice of the one who actually penned the words to them of all the Old Testament fulfilled in him. This is Jesus. Why follow? Because no one has ever done this authority before. What authority figures have come and who's drawn to them? The people who held the authority in that moment, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people, they were bringing people to themselves that were just like them. They were bringing people to themselves that would fit into that kingdom. But every time they looked at what Jesus brought in with the same thing and even more than what they were teaching with authority out of this grand story, this narrative, the people that were coming to him were the people that they never thought would be a part of it. And that's us. (laughs) How does this story reach our ears? Because he's the one who's called to us. The author steps into the story to bring us to himself. I love how Charles Hodge said it. He said, it's not with, in the consciousness of strength, self-confidence, and self-relying that he appeared among them, but as oppressed with a sense of his own weakness and insufficiency, he had a work to do which he felt to be entirely above his powers, and yet he did it. That's real authority. So how do we follow him, though? I mean, notice when he goes here in verse 16 to 20, he says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea. They were fishermen. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you, fishers, uh, make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You know, what it means to know authority, it means to follow. It means we have to learn to follow and learn that we are followers. David Brooks, one of my favorite op-ed writers, wrote some time ago that there, we have a following problem in this article that was not taken well. He said in, in some sense that we have less of a leadership problem and more of a following problem, you know, picking up on the fact that we don't want any authority in our life. 
But the critics were really bashing him, saying to even use the word follower, sometimes the notion of it struck as servile or even creepy, strange. But what he was getting at here is that, that an authority, by definition of a leader, has followers. If we're longing for someone to lead, we ourselves are saying we are followers. We need to recognize that. So how do we follow? How do we follow? We have to recognize first the authority. Well, Jesus sets himself as the authority, not as, as one who commands it, but one who says, here's the authority I have, and yet here's how I'm going to connect to you with it. Rather than lording the power over He says, I'm going to be humble below that. How do we follow him, though? And it's interesting when we read stories like this where Jesus says, and this is accounted in all the Gospels, when he says, follow me, and they immediately drop their nets. It's easy to take the radical notion of them dropping everything and following Jesus to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what they did then. Or not to think that they actually immediately did that, that they just sat and thought about it. It's actually, and I searched and searched to, to, again, as I've even studied this passage before to say, okay, how radical was this? It was that radical. They dropped what they were doing and immediately followed Jesus. And this was unusual because most rabbis or teachers uh, did not ask or command followers to follow them. That usually was this symbiotic way of happening. But this is a uniqueness. And yet they dropped everything they did to follow. They dropped all that they have. It was an urgent work. And if they didn't, and they needed to respond with urgency. And the question here is, is twofold. And I want us to get really practical. How we follow Jesus. What is he really asking of them? He's asking first for them to leave to leave. And what is he really getting at? Now, some of us are like, I can't just drop everything and leave. Before you run there, notice, even at the end of this passage, after they go back to, after they leave, they go back to things. They go back to their homes. They go back to their work. You see them back in those elements. So we're going to hit that soon. But the point is this, they leave with an urgency of what currently has their authority. What currently is the authority they follow, the voice that speaks to them? How we follow Jesus is asking, what is the real authority in our life? We can all say, especially if you're watching and participating and listening and even here, thinking about what it means for you to be a Christian. It means we follow Jesus. That's literally what it means. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. What, what, Do we really know that he's asking to follow means we leave things? And there's a radical urgency to that. There's a a reality to the fact that we wake up to our senses of what speaks into our following as good followers of the authority that speaks into our lives. It could be anything. And and, and what you notice, Jesus pulls no punches to say we follow things like our vocation. We may say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but he's here and he fits into this world, but my true authority is what my job tells me to do. Even in this passage, it talks about, look, they leave their, their nets right after that. Verse 20 talks about leaving their father. 
Other places, it talks about leaving those who've passed. It's talking about leaving. It could be family. It could be things that we look to that are beautiful, wonderful things in our lives that we may need to leave. Now, that doesn't mean, again, to actually run away from, but it means that we look to more for the authority to explain and follow than we do the real authority where the time is fulfilled in Jesus. We may think the time is fulfilled in other things. See, following him means we really see that. What, does it mean how we survive the best? Is the authority right now making sure that everything is okay in our house? Is the authority something else? What would it be? What would it be for you? That we need to leave in order we can follow Jesus. And we need to recognize. It's a very practical thing. And not to sit on for a moment. Not, it's not, Jesus isn't calling us. And he's not saying follow because you agree with me. There are gonna be many times that we don't agree with what God is doing and what Jesus is saying. They, there are plenty of times that they didn't agree with Jesus and yet they followed. And Jesus had to say, let me tell you, what. it wasn't just the explaining why. It's not always landing. Following doesn't always mean that we agree. And that's how we live in our culture is we follow the thing that we most agree with, right? But Jesus didn't come into this world and break into it as the authority because he agreed with us the most or that we would agree with him the most. It's because we needed rescue. We need to know what it meant to, be, to follow him. And here's what it means to actually follow, right? To follow means a reordering. See, what Jesus is doing is not saying, hey, I need you to, to make me the priority. That's what we typically think of following when Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. And they immediately left their nets. Great. They're just learning priorities, following Jesus. But what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying, make me number one in your life. I think that's what most of us think. What Jesus is getting at is not telling us to make him number one. He's saying, I want you to see your entire priority list through me. I want you to reorder everything so that you see it in relation to me. See, they went back to their nets. They went back to their vocations. They went back into their homes. Even verse 20, uh, 29 through 31 talks about them going back in the home of Simon and Andrew. And, and, and talking about the need of one of their family members is ill. They still had needs. They still had struggles. They still had issues to be dealt with. And yet, what was it? It reordered their life in order they saw how to live in their families, in their jobs, through who they were in Jesus. See, following Jesus means it transforms us. And the Pharisees were always asking, hey, where do you get this authority? Show us, if you show us more miracles, we'll believe you. If you show us more, we'll believe in your authority. Well, you'll show us that you have true authority. But Jesus said, no, that's not you learning. That's not you having faith in my authority. That's you having faith in what I can do. See, Jesus' authority was in his person, not just what he could do. Following him means that we trust in his ultimate authority, that he is the zenith of time and space, and yet he also submits himself even below us to, take up the, to lay down his authority, to take up the cross, so that he could defeat the ultimate authority. It isn't our long, longing, our biggest desire is, is there an authority who's gonna help defeat the greatest enemy I have? 
death. Who has authority really? At the end of the day, none of us have authority over the things that we wish had authority over death, sin, the things we see in ourselves. We can manage as much as possible. We can't defeat them. What does Jesus do to prove his authority? He takes up the cross and then he does the thing of we never suspect. He rises again from the dead so that, he know, so that we know the ultimate authority isn't death. It isn't the thing that none of us can control. It's the one thing that we can't, that he does in his own authority. See, this is why we follow Jesus and how we do by reading and praying and going to him because he is the authority of our lives. He's the one that has brought us to himself, that wraps us up in the story so that we know that the storyteller himself has come to us. The distinction of Christianity than anything else is the one who has come, who's worthy to be followed because he has brought us to himself in his great love through his life, death, and resurrection. Let me pray for us.